0: Welcome into the Thursday edition of Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. I'm Maurice Patton. That is Wade Neely, and he grew up right before your very eyes there. Um, Wade, good afternoon. How are we doing, Mo?
1: It's a Thursday. Super Bowl is getting closer and closer. And you are currently
0: posted up in Tullahoma, I guess. Is that right?
1: Uh, close enough, I'm at uh, Tim's Ford Lake out here in Winchester. Oh, uh, you're on the, you're hanging out on the lake. You know, catching a little lake vibes. It looks a little different than uh, your summertime visit. There's not much foliage out here, but uh, we're close to Tullahoma where Giles County will travel uh, for their final regular season district game and regular season game for that matter tonight.
0: Okay. So Wade is coming to you from the Lee Company studio on Tim's Ford. I am at my home. Getting ready to do some youth basketball officiating later tonight. Yeehaw! Should be a lot of fun. Hopefully nobody gets teed up. So, but um, big show today. Um, here in our next segment, we're going to be visiting on Coach's Corner with East Robertson girls basketball coach Kenyatta Perry. The Lady Indians have already clinched the District 8-1A championship for the regular season as we all head toward. District tournament action on the Division One side—they're already into that in D2, but um, we'll be catching up with him. Also, giving out some hardware as we do every Thursday. We'll be giving out our Player of the Week, sponsored by Mid Tennessee Bone and Joint. I'm sorry, our Athlete of the Week, because they're not always players. And our Custom Stone Handlers Into Win Life Team of the Week will be given, honoring that team during segment two as well. Later in the show, you may have seen the title card, that that imposing guy in uniform on the right side. Tennessee Highway Patrol Lieutenant Benny Jennings is going to join us, and you might be familiar with his son, uh, maybe a little bit more familiar than, than with Benny, but um, we're going to talk to him about a little trip he's going to be making later tonight for the weekend. So... Stay tuned for that. Also, the TWSAA announced its Mr. and Miss Basketball finalists earlier today. Wade and I will share some thoughts on that. We'll be going over this week's AP Top 10 polls in Boys and Girls Basketball. And it's throwback Thursday. We will be re-listening to our interview, Yao and I's Yao and my interview from last week with. Braves on Bally voice, Brandon Gauden, talking a little Braves. So, um got a lot. And then our final segment is our grab bag. We've got a lot of topics that we're going to get to in a short period of time. Some of them, some more interesting than others, but all peaking, we'll say. So, um looking forward to the show, as always. Wade, are you looking forward to the show?
1: I think we're in store for a good one. We've got the wild and wacky part of the week behind us, and now it's kind of time to roll up the sleeves and get ready for a big weekend. Yeah, let's let's do this
0: today. Yeah, absolutely. So um, before we do anything else, we need to give you yesterday's results and today's schedule on the rundown. This is
2: The Rundown.
0: Girls basketball action from Wednesday night. Franklin defeated Centennial 58-39. Ezell Harding down Davidson Academy 48-46. Page with a 53-45 win over Nolansville to stay unbeaten in District 10-4A. Brentwood with a 58-43 win over Ravenwood. And Independence defeated Summit 45-37. Boys basketball
1: scores last night. It was Franklin, 48, Centennial, 44. Page wins a nail-biter versus Nolensville, 47-45. It was Ravenwood also by two over Brentwood. Low-scoring affair there, 35-33 is the final. Independence was the 69-40 to winner over Summit. District. Uh, excuse me, Division A District Quarterfinals. There we go. It was BGA, 67, Grace Christian, Franklin, 31. Clarksville Academy, an eight-point winner, 50 to 42 over Nashville, Christian. Columbia Academy takes care of Franklin Road Academy by the count of 65 to 43. Ezel Harding, a 63 60 winner over Davidson Academy. Friendship Christian goes ahead and knocks off DCA last night. 60 to 43 was your final there. It was Good Pasture 68, Mount Juliet 30. Providence Christian was a 66 31 winner over Middle Tennessee Christian. And the feat of Webb knockoff University School of Nashville, 49-38, to was your score there. A couple of bonus scores, men's basketball on the hardwood at the college level. It was Tennessee, 88-68, a winner over LSU. And Belmont knocks off Murray State. Talked about it on the show yesterday. Belmont kind of getting healthy, maybe a chance to get some wins. They got that win, 69-64 versus Murray State. In the ladies' side, it was Lipscomb knocking off Jacksonville by the count of 58-52 and it was North Florida 52, Austin P 50, really close one there between those two rivals.
0: Yeah, um, Jacoby Gillespie was back for Belmont last night. That helps. Night, and that certainly does not hurt, as Joe Sullivan mentioned yesterday when we had him on. Tonight's high school basketball schedule, these are all doubleheaders. All 6 o'clock starts with the girls. Hendersonville is at Beach, Clarksville North with clarksville northeast is at clarksville northwest there we go montgomery central goes to creekwood east robertson again we'll be visiting with kenyatta perry here in the next segment his lady indians will be taking on white house heritage followed by the guys in that one smyrna goes to knowledge academies houston county is at mckenzie lawrence county goes to murfreesboro central loretto is at richland Riverdale is at Rockvale. Coffee County goes to Spring Hill. Mount Pleasant is at Summertown. Giles County, as we mentioned, is at Tullahoma. Wade Neely will be Mike's side for that one on PCL, Pulaski Citizen Live. Republic is at Valor Collegiate. And Dixon County is at West Creek.
1: Boys basketball only tonight. It'll be Hillsboro at Antioch at 730. Westmoreland will travel to Franklin Classical. That game's scheduled for a 6 o'clock start. And uh, as Mo mentioned a moment ago, Republic is in action, but taking on a different team. The boys will take on White's Creek tonight, coming up at 7.30. In the college ranks, Lindsey Wilson will travel to Cumberland for a big Mid-South Conference show down there. These are double-headers. Virgin Islands, you know, I'd Mm -hmm. like to go to school at Virgin Islands. Uh, Former uh, uh, burgeoning NAI school just a couple of years ago. They traveled to Fisk tonight in Nashville. That game is set for 5 o'clock. UT Southern is playing its final few home games. They host Faulkner tonight in a doubleheader that begins at 5.30. Cedarville is at Trebecca. And then in uh, men's basketball only tonight, Mo, MTSU is at Liberty. That game will begin at 6 p.m. That can be seen on ESPN+. Kennesaw State is at Austin P at 7 o'clock. Queens will visit Lipscomb at 7 p.m. TSU travels to Lindenwood. That game is set for 7.30 tonight.
0: On the women's side, Tennessee State is also at Lindenwood. That's a 5 o'clock start there. Tennessee plays at Alabama, 6 o'clock tip there down in Tuscaloosa. Liberty is at the Glass House taking on the the Lady Raiders of Middle Tennessee State. That's a 6.30 start. And on the SEC Network at 8 o'clock, Vanderbilt takes on visiting Louisiana State. In the association, the Bulls will be at FedEx Forum taking on the Grizzlies. That's a 7 o'clock start down in Memphis, and it can be seen apparently on Bally Midwest. So look out for that one. That is your rundown. <music> Top story today as always brought to you by Piggly Wiggly over in Neely's Mill here in Columbia. Be sure and go over there hungry at lunchtime. Get your um delicious daily deli lunch selections. Also, you've got hand-cut meat options over there and everything is is cost plus 10% at the register. So again, Piggly Wiggly, Neely's Mill in Columbia bringing you our top story and Actually, it's top stories plural right now as the Tennessee Sports Writers Association announced their players of the week for this week. On the men's basketball side, Jordan Sears averaged 29.5 points in a pair of games for UT Martin this week um, a 76 59 win at Eastern Illinois and a 90 79 win at Southern Illinois Edwardsville. For the week, he was 15 of 29 from the floor and 21 of 25 from the line. You'll take that. Yeah. Um, 34 points against, uh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> 34 points against SIUE, 25.6 boards, and five assists against Eastern Illinois. So, Big week for Jordan Sears of UT Martin. On the women's side, Sewanee guard Olivia Falvey had a pair of double-doubles, averaging 24 points and 11 boards for Sewanee. 26-10 in an 85-80 loss to Millsaps, and 22-12 and in an 81-77 win over Birmingham Southern. So again, congratulations to Jordan Sears of UT Martin and Olivia Falvey of Sewanee. The Tennessee Sports Writers Association's men's and women's basketball players of the week this week. Also, some interesting news here over the last day or so. Um, most of us are somewhat familiar with Hard Knocks, the the NFL look into some team that HBO has done for pretty good while. Wow, made that a pretty pretty successful franchise there. Well. Baseball has hooked up with Netflix, apparently, and they will be doing a docu-series on the Red Sox. So they'll be filming that over the course of this season, and it will air in 2025. Uh, Those are apparently the plans for that. So we'll feature footage from spring training to the final pitch of the 2024 season. Wade, if you were going to follow a team from start to finish of a Major League Baseball season, where would the Red Sox rank in terms of your interest? You know,
1: uh, kind of as you and I are a little more in the minutia than, than maybe most, I would say maybe they wouldn't be my first choice, but... Uh, To the layperson or to the casual fan, just the casual Netflix Netflix scroller, Mm. uh, probably a pretty decent little pick. Obviously, a big market, pretty familiar fan base. Um, Yeah, but probably me personally, maybe not uh, my top choice, I suppose. I'm kind of surprised that they didn't go, uh, obviously, Yankees or Dodgers. Mm -hmm. And maybe they tried and were turned down. And so Boston maybe became the third choice, I guess, by default there.
0: At least. Uh, Netflix and MLB considered several dip- different options for the show, and they ultimately decided that focusing on one team would be the best way to convey the highs and lows of a 162-game season. The Red Sox were willing to be featured, and team CEO and president Sam Kennedy said the final decision was left up to manager Alex Cora and the players. So this is something that's been talked about for a year and a half, basically. Um And I I wonder, you know, obviously a lot of things have changed on a lot of different fronts over 18 months. Like you said, the Dodgers this year would seem particularly interesting with Shohei coming on board and that kind of thing. But this isn't something that just formed up here over the last week or month. But, you know, I think it's going to be kind of fascinating because a Major League Baseball season has a lot going on that you don't necessarily (laughs) see in other sports with guys going up and down, guys getting traded. Um, and 162 games is a lot.
1: Yeah, uh, I can just go ahead and say I am not envious whatsoever of the film crew for this show. Uh, I mean, talk about a massive undertaking from spring training to the end of the season, which obviously could stretch into potentially even November. Um, I mean, that is just a gargantuan project. And then trying to just piece all that down uh, into a series that comes out maybe next year. That I'm not I'm not envious whatsoever of of the film
0: crew. No doubt, <laughs> it's definitely not something you can turn as quickly as a hard knocks type situation. But I think it's going to be fascinating. Like I said, for all, for all the reasons, all the twists and turns of a 162 game baseball season, plus like you said, spring training, plus potentially the postseason. So we will see what that looks like in. 2025 um also wade kirk herb street in the news and if i were kirk i might be a little careful going to athens georgia here for the next while
1: yeah he uh doesn't seem like he's uh, necessarily going to be the most popular figure in town. It sounds like when he comes, if if and when he comes rolling in between the hedges soon.
0: I, I feel like he is probably persona non grata down there right about now um, as a number of outlets, including awfulannouncing.com is reporting that Herb Street reached out to the family of five-star quarterback Dylan Raiola during his... Pondering of where he was going to go. Originally, Rayola had committed to Ohio State. Later, committed to Georgia. Finally, flipped to Nebraska, which is where he eventually signed in December. But um, as that flip was being reported and and was kind of smoldering, apparently Herb Street, the famous or infamous, ESPN college football figure reached out to Rayola's dad and encouraged him to make that move to Nebraska. Uh, something that Dylan Rayola's dad, Dominic, discussed um, during signing day yesterday. And there's video of the discussion. We're not going to run it. But when this was happening, I'll bring up one guy's name. His name is Kirk Street. When he saw the smoke about Dylan entertaining Nebraska, he was like, call me. He was like, dude, if this is true, he's got to do it. His affinity for Nebraska, for a guy like that to tell me and get behind me, you know, I knew he needed to do it, but I wasn't going to sit here and say, you need to go change that place or be part of the change of that place. So when Kirk told me that, you know, I was like, man, I had other coaches reach out and say the place is special and Coach Rule is a special leader. Now, Dominic Rayola played at Nebraska. So he was already familiar with the situation over there and with the environment and that kind of thing. But as he said, you know, getting that nudge from somebody as visible and as, you know, looped in on college football as Kirk Herbstreit was, you know, you can't think it hurt the situation any.
1: No, uh, that's one guy that, yeah, when, you, when he kind of saddles up to you or saddles up to, you, you know, you're – you're probably going to listen to what Herbie's got to say. And uh, it's interesting, kind of the whole recruitment process, originally committing to Ohio State, uh, which obviously factors in with Herbie a a touch Mm -hmm. there, uh, hated or not hated, depending on who you ask in in Columbus uh, over the years. And so then we get the Georgia situation. Now we get this. It just seems um, that Herbie kind of just – it's. On the surface level, to me, I do think it was probably innocent enough. I don't know that there was any crazy, mischievous uh, attempt going on, but uh, it is interesting that Herbie, a guy that's kind of just found himself in some interesting situations as a member of the media who's kind of wielded that influence for good or for bad over the years, he finds himself in another situation yet again like this.
0: Yeah, you know, I I just don't think it's a good look. I mean, I don't think he necessarily did anything wrong wrong but the optics of it aren't great i don't think and i'll be interested to see how espn responds to this or if they respond at all yeah and i would say
1: just based on Herbie's previous behavior, Pat McAfee, some others, you know, kind of uh, kind of rocking the boat a little bit with college football over the last couple of years. I don't know that much will come out of this, but uh, it, it is interesting that the guy kind of just somehow, some way, finds a way to, to end up in a headline, it seems like, every offseason.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we'll see where that goes. We will see where Main Street Sports today goes. I know in the next segment we will be joined by – East Robinson girls basketball coach Kenyatta Perry as we talk about the Lady Indians and as we also get ready to give away a little hardware as we do on Thursday. So we will do that when we come back here on Main Street Sports Today presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. Stay with us. Mm
2: thrive under the lights, the city of performers, putting on one heck of a show, headlining night after night, welcome to Smashville.
0: Welcome back to the Thursday edition of Main Street Sports today, presented by Mid Tennessee Bone and Joint, coming to you from the remote Lee Company studios alongside Thames Ford Lake and in Franklin. Wade Neely, Maurice Patton with you, and we are now joined here on Coach's Corner, one of our Thursday features by 13 year East Robertson girls basketball coach Kenyatta Perry. And, um, First, need to thank David Wilson of the Robertson County Connection for helping helping set this interview up. But um, a little a little texting in different directions. Gotta admit, Kenyatta and I go a little bit further back than this. I, I remember when he was playing for um, Lipscomb Lipscomb College. Then I guess, huh?
5: Well, it was actually Lipscomb University at that time. Yep. It already changed over from the college, so we had started making that transition at that time.
0: Okay, so, um, and there there was a reference to somebody's age, and it wasn't Coach Perry's. <laughs> but it, at any rate, Coach, we appreciate you taking some time with us. Um, first off, congratulations on y'all's success to this point, eighteen and four, reigning District Eight One A regular season champions and looking to claim some more hardware here over the next little bit, but um, nice run to this point for y'all.
5: Well, I appreciate you having me. Yeah. We, we've been playing pretty well over the last couple of weeks and uh, we got some things rolling right now. Um, We kind of handled our district like we were supposed to. Uh, We're getting ready to start the district tournament and tonight we have homecoming. So you never know with girls, how they're going to react to homecoming and then, you know, having dresses on and going to get dressed to come and play. So, Hopefully, you know, we have a quick transition and be ready to play against a good White House Heritage team tonight. Uh, And then we finish up the regular season with Trousdale next week. So we hope to finish strong, like I said, and get the district tournament started off right.
0: I've talked to enough football coaches to know how much of a, let's say, distraction homecoming is. And so I imagine with basketball, and as you said, uh, guys aren't as much into it as, the young ladies are typically so uh, i imagine you can ramp that up a few degrees in your case so um hope everything goes the way you need it to but i know that's something that you'll be glad when it's over
5: you're exactly correct i'm glad they do it before the game and not between games like they used to because then their whole focus is on let's get the game over with let's go get dressed so now at least they're dressed they're here to get through the presentation the pageantry They can go get dressed, refocus. Uh, I kind of jump on them early in the locker room, right after that to kind of make sure we're ready to play and go out and put our best product on the floor.
0: Coach,
1: Coach, uh, thank you for being with us here today, first and foremost, and uh, kind of glancing through your schedule. You guys have taken care of business, as you said, in district play, and some of those losses kind of came in a a tough stretch in the middle portion of the season. Uh, I'm down in Giles County, so I'm familiar with the Richland game that you guys play, but obviously uh, a team like Pickett County is very good too. What did you maybe take away from some of those losses at the midpoint of the year, and how have you kind of applied that to this run that you guys are on right now?
5: Well, a few of the losses we had, I think we played Clay early. They beat us at their place early. Um, we turned around, I think, the next weekend we had, had to go to Richland, which is a tough place to play. They're always well coached. Um, so we we were actually winning that game at halftime by 10. So we were there, and then we kind of let it slip away a little bit with the young guards, a team that's, you know, not, not seasoned as some of my other teams have been. That was a good game for us to kind of learn some things about ourselves, and things that can work and do not work. We found that out very quickly. Uh, and then we transitioned to uh, the White House game that we lost. We didn't play particularly well, didn't have a good shooting night. And even in that game, we had a chance to winning at the end. Uh, we ended up losing by two. Um, and then um, I think it was Hendersonville where we kind of turned the corner a little bit. Uh, we had a couple of games before that. Then we got to Hendersonville, which is a good team, a bigger team than we are. Um, We were able to to defeat them at home in a Christmas classic. And I think that light kind of switched and turned on that now, okay, we can beat bigger teams with bigger posts. Uh, As long as our guards come to play and we're able to kind of slow down the post defensively, uh, we're going to be a tough team to beat. And after that game, we won, I think, 12 straight. So I think, like I said, the light bulb came on. Um, We don't mind, you know, defending. Uh, We can get out and score transition. So we put a lot of pressure on teams to stop us as well. So that's that's been the biggest thing. Once we get out and we're able to kind of put the clamps on you defensively, we kind of pick and choose and, and maneuver and kind of figure out ways to score. And I have a special player as a freshman right now that you give her a crack and she's going to open up the whole door. So uh, she's tough to stop. And when she gets going, uh, we're a pretty good team.
1: Yeah, and it's been fun to watch you guys. Uh, sorry, Mo, real quick. Uh, and kind of as you get in, I'm always fascinated. And I'm curious your answer here. Uh, how do you approach these final? What are you looking to take out of these final few games in the regular season? Because obviously, things kind of get completely erased, and we start a new one. Yeah. District tournament starts next week.
5: Well, you hope to go in with at least some type of rhythm offensively, uh, because defensively each team is going to be different. So our focus on defense is different. We may double the post in one game and then the next game we may jump the guards early. Or we may press a whole game uh, It's just depending on what they have coming at us. So I'll do my scouting I'll you know, relay it to the girls we will walk through it in practice. So they're prepared uh, for different scenarios that come to us. And then on the offensive side, once we figure out how they're trying to defend us, um, we've seen several different defenses this year. So they're kind of familiar with, okay, they're doing this. So we're going to attack this way. So a lot of times, before I can even call what we're going to do, um, Katie Pennington to look at me and say, hey, they're doing this. Let's run this. And i like, you're exactly correct. Let's go. Uh, so they're, they're kind of learning on the fly and, like I said, they're gaining a little bit more accountability with how we're playing.
0: You like that coach on the floor mentality, I'm sure, as you were oh, yeah. yourself. So um, that's nice to see. Kenyatta Perry, girls basketball coach at East Robertson, joining us here on Coach's Corner. On Main Street Sports today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint, the Lady Indians, as we said, 18-4. and four. And again, Coach, looking through your schedule, you've kind of gotten the best of both worlds, I guess, because you've been able to kind of stretch out. Hendersonville's a 4A team. Portland's a, a team that plays at a larger classification mm-hmm. than you all. You've gone out and kind of played some really tough 1As as well, and you've been successful. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where – You either win or you learn, but you've been able to do both, I guess. And what does that say for y'all, do you feel like?
5: We have. I have a team that that has a a strong will to win. Uh, So no matter who we're playing against, once we get on the court and we start playing, it's basketball. It doesn't matter if it's 4A, 3A, it's basketball at that point. So then it becomes, are you better than the other team? And so 18 times we figured out ways to win. Uh, the four times we haven't, we knew what we could have done to get better. Um, and then we addressed that after the game. So we, you know, we took some of those things that we lost, even in losses. Um, even though they were losses, they weren't failures. You know, we were able to, you know, add to some of the things we are doing, and then that helped us win other games. And that's kind of what I use some of the games that, you know, you go into games knowing that you're probably going to win some of these, but we prepare for other teams in those games as well. So uh, I think we're well prepared when we come to play. It's just a matter of execution at that point.
0: You mentioned you've got a special freshman. Tell us about she's her.
5: She's very good. Very good. Uh, Allie Pennington, um, seeing her play in middle school, I knew she could score. What I didn't reala- realize about her when she came to the high school level that she's a two-way player. She'll get them to defend. defend. Uh, she's probably one of our best all-ball defenders. I think she's averaging right around three steals right now. But she doesn't mind mixing it up, doesn't mind. She plays – Uh, all out all the time. And like I said, her ability to score is is very rare uh, for a freshman to come in and can kind of just lead your team and take over. Um, It's been a pleasant surprise in her first game this year, uh, first varsity game, she scores 37. Um, I'm not expecting that. And, you know, we're playing Gordonsville and she goes for 37, which is a region team. Um, So you kind of can see some things, you know, start flashing. And I think she followed that up with the next game against uh, Liberty Creek. She scores 26. So, It was like, okay, I have something special here, and how can I get the most out of her? And with her, you don't really have to do a whole lot. She's self-motivated. She comes ready to play. Uh, You really just got to point her in the right direction and say, okay, this is how we're going to want to attack tonight. This is what we're looking for. And then she takes the ball and goes. So uh, she's a very special player. Like I said, the team rallies around her, so they're looking for her, and they're they're basically enhancing what she can do on the floor. They help her out quite a bit, and – try not to put too much pressure on her being a freshman, um, which I don't think she minds it. She wants to play, she wants to win. And that's part of how the transition of this team from previous team is that will to win. A lot of it comes from her. She hates to lose uh, at anything. So that's a good thing. That's a good quality to have.
0: Coach, I'm fascinated by when something like that takes place, particularly with a freshman, like mm-hmm. you said, 37 points in her varsity debut. I mean, had you seen anything over the summer or in the off season as you led up to this that, that made you feel like that might be in there? And, and how, how does the rest of the team respond to a freshman mm-hmm. in particular coming in and kind of maybe upsetting their apple cart a little bit as far as that goes? Well, one of the good things
5: about our school is the middle school and high school is connected. So we get to see a lot of the middle school games because they use the same gym. So I think they had an idea with her coming up, watching her play, that she was a little bit different than a normal freshman would be. Um, and then we went to all of our summer camp and all that stuff there. Um, I didn't start at the beginning. She, you know, she had to earn her way on the floor, um, but just her ability to, to just compete. Uh, was different, and you can kind of see it right away. So I knew at some point she's going to be on the floor. Um, and, and fortunately, it was about game three of the summer, and I said, you know, it's time to put her in. We were playing York, I believe it was, uh, and ended up beating York, which was a really good team, uh, and she really played really well. I think she had like 22 in that game. Uh, with the summer game, with the running clock, I was like, okay, she she can she can go. Um, and then you kind of see the transition of that. The team, you know, like I said, they're encouraging her. Uh, they're not jealous of her. That You know, they're trying to get her open. They know, you know, she's got to play well for us to win. Um, and it helps that her sister's on the floor with her, too, because she can kind of hold her accountable for some of the things that some of the other players can't. Uh, and that's one thing about that family. They will hold each other accountable, and they, they accept it. They accept the responsibility. And like I said, they go out and play very, very hard.
0: Obviously, Allie is kind of the the straw that stirs the drink. But talk to us a little bit about Ida Bernard. I just another one she's probably
5: the probably the best shooter I've had since I've been here at school um, she's probably a career 35 40 percent three-point shooter um, there was a game in the summer two summers ago she had uh, I think it was 10 in a row I think she hit 11 against Fairview um, she can really shoot the ball very very well and she's one that as a junior now uh, she has no conscience so if she may miss two or three if you you know leave her open she's gonna make the next four or five. Um, she's that streaky, that quick shot, release. Um, and she's one of those girls, again, that plays hard all the time. You don't have to motivate her to play. She's going to be ready to play. Um, she works hard. She works extra. A lot of times out the practice, Ida, Allie, Katie, uh, still be in the gym, shooting, working. So it's uh, it's been an impressive group to watch and see them grow together this year. Um, I know they had a lot of success in middle school, but to watch them in high school, um, have this success. It's been it's been pleasing, very pleasing.
1: Certainly uh, exciting uh, for somebody that's not super familiar with your program to kind of just hear about that. But about that uh, kind of unique composition of your team. I guess I'm curious, Coach uh, White House Heritage. They come in maybe a, a little quote unquote down from where they've been the last couple of years, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, maybe don't give us the whole game plan. But how are you going to really kind of attack this team and kind of maybe approach uh, to get a homecoming win tonight?
5: Heritage is a little different uh, for most people because they're only about 10 minutes down the road from us, so we're very familiar with them, um, and we know they're going to give us their best effort every night uh, that we play them. Uh, But they have two very uh, skilled and talented guards that we really have to watch that can kind of disrupt the game plan if you let them because they're very good with the ball. They try to penetrate and score, um, and then if you back up, they can shoot it pretty well. Uh, They're a little bit younger in the post and wing area, so we kind of try to take advantage of that a little bit. Um, similar to how we played in the first time, we'll try to speed the game up on them. Um, we'll show them different looks. We have a couple of different zone packages that we use. Um, but for the most part, we'll play man to man. We'll, like I said, put a lot of pressure on the guards to make plays away from the basket. Um, and it's kind of forced the ball out of their hands. And once it leaves their hands, we don't want them to get it back. So we'll, we'll be really heavy on denial tonight. And, and on the flip side of that, like I said, when we get the ball, we want to run. We want to get them in transition. Uh, make them have to chase us and get to our guards. Um, And like I said, this is one of those games where they really focused on Allie last time, and Ida ends up hitting six threes against them. She was six for eight. So you kind of have to pick your poison a little bit um, because if you can't control Allie, then it just opens the floodgates for us. And Ida, at this point, I believe she's at 950 points, so she's 50 points away from 1,000. So she doesn't know it. They don't want her to know, but, you know, we're all rooting for her to get to that point this year.
0: Coach, I think the cat may be out of the bag. <laughs> it may be. <laughs> Ken Yatta pa- Perry, girls basketball coach at East Robertson, joining us on Coach's Corner here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. Coach, we appreciate your time. Yes, sir. Go get suited and booted for home for coming home. And um, good luck tonight.
5: I uh, thank you. I appreciate you having
0: me. All right. Thank you, Coach. Hey, before we get out of here, out of this segment. Again, want to give away a little hardware. Our Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint Athlete of the Week this week is Mount Pleasant Jr. Ryan Benderman. In three Tiger victories last week, he averaged 20.7 points and 10.7 rebounds. That's a double-double. One of those with a 29.11 rebound effort in a big win, big seventy-three fifty-three win last Friday night over Summertown. So um, congratulations to Mr. Bender, our Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint Athlete of the Week this week and our Custom Stone Handlers End to win team of the week is the Mount Pleasant Boys basketball team. Hello. Um, I, Again, went 3-0 and last week. They defeated Cornersville, 67-29. They defeated Lewis County, 78-63 over in Hohenwald. And again, that big 73-53 win at home against Summertown last week. Um, average 73 points a game. Average margin of victory was 24 points in those three wins and have extended their winning streak to six straight games going into tonight's Pivotal matchup down at Summertown. A win there gives the Tigers a share of the District 10 2A regular season championship. So we'll be keeping an eye on that one. But again, congratulations to Ryan Benderman and the Mount Pleasant Boys basketball team, our MTBJ athlete of the week, and our custom stone handlers team of the week. When we come back, we're going to keep it on preps. We we do preps to pros. We'll be getting to pros later. But um, right now, we're going to take a look at the Associated Press Top 10 statewide poll for this week and at the Mr. and Miss Basketball finalists that were announced earlier today by the TSSAA. And we've got some thoughts. So we'll be airing some grievances when we come back here on Main Street Sports today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint, stay with us.
3: Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint treats your orthopedic injuries and existing conditions. Our trained physicians will get you back in the game faster. Contact us at 931-381-2663 or www.mtbj.net.
0: Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint has been the official sports medicine provider for Murray County Schools for more than 40 years. We specialize in orthopedic service and our ortho quick walk-in clinic lets you bypass the ER. Visit us online at www.mtbj.net. Street Sports Today presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. That's Wade Neely. I'm Maurice Patton. We're going to continue high school talk as we take a look at this week's Associated Press Top 10s for boys and girls basketball. Um, Pretty heavy Memphis representation, which I guess kind of makes sense historically speaking, in 4 a boys, Cordova and Bartlett are one and two. Cordova getting, getting 10 first place votes. Cookville getting the other one sitting at third place. Siegel, Powell and Bearden are four, five, six. Uh, Ravenwood seven, Independence eight, Hillsborough nine, Ray County 10, tied with Franklin. So again, three of those teams out of district 10, four, a represented in the top 11 in this case and it it continues to be interesting Ravenwood fell from 5 to 7 following their loss to Independence the Eagles rose from 10th to 8th but Ravenwood still ahead of them and Independence defeated Ravenwood yet again on Tuesday night so they have swept that regular season series but I tell you I don't I don't think any of them puts a whole lot of stock in e- in any of that. The only game that any of them are looking forward to is the next one. Mm-hmm. And they start, that district starts quarterfinal action, I think on Thursday, a week from today. And I was at the independent summit game last night, and that's all anybody was talking about. We just got to get a win next Thursday night. No, anything else that's happened to this point doesn't matter. And in an eight-team district, nobody's assured of anything. So, polls are fun. Wins are better. Yep. Yes. Uh. Yeah. Throw the polls out once tournament time gets rolling, right? Yeah. So, going to be interesting to keep an eye on that. In Class 3A boys, Fulton, Dyer County, Bolivar, and the Wildcats of Lawrence County coming in at number four, along with Fayette Ware. Those two are tied for number four. Um, Mumford, six. Upperman, Upperman getting one first place vote. They are the number seven team in 3A, followed by Ridgeway, David Crockett, and Chester County. Uh, i tell
1: you what, Mo, that Lawrence County team is a good basketball team.
0: i tell you and, what, I've not seen them since Christmas, but I saw them right around Christmas, and the thing that impresses me most about that team is their balance.
1: 100%. Uh, that's what's blown me away the two times I've got to see them. Uh, both in lopsided wins versus Giles County is they've got a number of different ways that they can beat you. And it kind of reminds me of Giles County from last year, a team mm-hmm. that made a run to the semifinals. Uh, one kid is not having the best of nights. Oh, well, we just turn and go to a different guy. And it just seems like that team is very balanced, as you said, and it's kind of a next man up mentality.
0: Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how they navigate this postseason under um, – their first-year coach down there. So in 2A, Douglas out of Memphis is the number one team. Again, 10 first-place votes, followed by Gatlinburg-Pittman, Tyner out of Chattanooga, Kingston is four, South Green, Grundy County, Ripley, Camden, and then your two Middle Tennessee entrants, Westmoreland coming in at number nine, and Whites Creek at 10 in 2A. And in Class 1A... Harriman, with nine first place votes, tops the poll, followed by Pickett County, Union City, Santa Fe, which fell from one to four, and obviously we've we've kind of talked a little bit about their struggles here of late with Alden Slaughter's ankle injury, and they dropped a tough one to Richland last week that I'm sure kind of precipitated that drop from one to four, but four is not bad. (laughs) Middleton is five, Houston County, Humboldt. University school out of Johnson city is eight, South Pittsburgh is nine and Chattanooga prep is 10. Wade, you've seen that Richland team. They were ranked earlier and fell out and I'm not sure that they shouldn't be up here. Richland should probably be in the mix
1: and uh, also got a chance to see Harriman around uh, just around Christmas time. And they are as good as advertised. Uh, Former Giles County co uh, player, Shea Shannon has got them rolling, and they've got a Mr. Basketball finalist, which we'll t- uh, touch into in just a minute. But mm-hmm. they look like a team that, if you look at the eye test, they don't look like a 1A team. They look like a 3 or 4A team, and they're playing like it right now.
0: Yeah, it it kind of it clicked with me a couple of weeks ago. Wait a minute, Harriman's in 1A?
1: Yeah. Yep, okay. and they they won it all a couple of years ago, uh, Coach Shannon's second or third year, and they... Kind of have taken a little bit of a hiatus, but they've been kind of steady climbing toward this season, kind of putting all their chips in the middle, so to speak, this year.
0: Well, we'll see how that goes. In Division 2, class two A, Briar Crest is number one, followed by Knoxville Webb. Pope Prep is at three. Baylor and Brentwood Academy are tied for four. MUS receiving votes. And in D two One A, you've got Silverdale at the top of the poll, despite receiving one less first place vote. And First Assembly Christian, which is second. Providence Christian is number three. Battleground Academy is four. Good Pasture is five. University School of Jackson is receiving votes. They're sixth. And Columbia Academy is at number seven, basically, in the top five. So um, I'm a little surprised that we've not seen them up there any sooner. But I guess folks are starting to kind of take notice of of their performance to this point. So we'll see what awaits them here again as we navigate this postseason. On the girls' side in 4A, Bradley Central is number one, getting nine of ten first place votes. Bearden is two. Clarksville with Clemson Sunny. Amari Berry is at number three. 23 and O are the Lady Wildcats in ranked number three. Um, Severe County four. Cookville gets that other first place vote. They are five. Coffee County, Brentwood, Lebanon, Campbell County, and Morristown East round out the 4A top 10. In 3A, you've got White County at the top getting all 10 first place votes, followed by Upperman, Maryville Heritage, Dyersburg, David Crockett, Chester County at 6, Cumberland County, oh wow, you got a three-way tie at 7 between Cumberland County, Clinton, and Signal Mountain, and Jackson Southside is 10. Um, scrolling down to 2A, McMinn Central is the number one team in 2A with all 10 first place votes. Gibson County is two. Gatlinburg-Pittman is three. Loretto is at number four. Cheatham County, Huntington, Summertown is at seven. Westview, York Institute, and Cannon County round out the top 10 in 2A. Loretto and Summertown have split during the regular season. I'm sure they are on a collision course in the finals of district 10 2 a and quite possibly in the region as well. These two have gotten used to seeing each other a lot.
1: Yeah. Familiar rivalry, obviously uh deep seated rivalry and you have Cheatham County, a potential region opponent kind of in the mix there too. So, uh, talk about a stacked kind of two, a poll there. Summertown and Loretto, obviously, uh, any given night, either one of those teams obviously can take care of the other, and then you throw
0: Cheatham County in the
1: mix. That is going to be a fun
0: region to look at going forward. Absolutely. In Class 1A, girls, Wayne County is ranked number one, followed by Cloudland, Pickett County, and the Lady Raiders of Richland coming in at four. Sunbright yeah, is five. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to – we'll we'll, uh, we'll save
1: that for the end because uh, Richland is playing at a high level right now too. Yeah. Yes,
0: Sunbright is 5, Moore County is 6, Middle College, Sale Creek, McKenzie, and South Fulton round out the top 10. In Division 2, Class 2A, you've got Father Ryan and Knoxville Catholic splitting the 10 votes for first place. Ryan nudging ahead by a point in the total balloting. Hutchison out of Memphis is number 3, Knoxville Webb is 4, Ensworth is 5. And in Division 2, Class 1A providence christian tops the poll. silverdale is two good pasture university school of jackson and the king's academy are your top five in division two one a and Wind. oh go ahead no uh i i know where you're going
1: with this and i was uh you haven't started foaming at the mouth just yet but uh you and i were discussing off air there, there's some other business to tend to in terms of uh
0: Uh, voting, per se, at the
1: high school rink.
0: There is some other business to tend to, so let's go ahead and tend to it. Again, again, uh, the TSSAA announced their Mr. and Miss Basketball finalists earlier today. The awards will be presented on Tuesday, March 12th at Murphy Center. The event is open to the public and begins at 5 o'clock. A statewide committee of sports writers selected winners based on performance during the 23-24 regular season. Not all of it, but anyway. Academics and character were also taken into consideration. High school head basketball coaches and and members of the media nominated the finalists. Without further ado, Division 2A Girls Miss Basketball Finalists, University School of Jackson's Halen Ayers, Providence Christians, Daisy Gale and Kelsey Johnson of Silverdale Baptist. D2AA, Dasha Baruch, B I R I U K. I'm not exactly sure how you pronounce that. I'm sure I didn't get it right and I apologize. From the Web School, Sydney Maines from Knoxville Catholic and Kamora Moore from Chattanooga Christian. In Division 1, Class 1A, your finalists are. Savannah Davis from McKenzie, Blair Bogus from Wayne County, both of whom I believe are MTSU signees. Rick Ensel and the and the and the gang getting after it over there in Murfreesboro. And your third Miss Basketball finalist from Class One A is North Green's Haley Bailey. Parents had a sense of humor. hmm <laughs> In Class Two A, your finalists are York Institute's Reese Beatty. Gibson County's Micah Hart, and Gatlinburg Pittman's Maddie Newman. In 3A, you've got Carly Lowry from Signal Mountain, Addison Melton from Murfreesboro Central. You saw her the other night. Elite player, and
1: I felt bad because I submitted my ballot before I had a chance to see her because of the snow games, and immediately I wish I had my ballot back because she is a fantastic player for Magnet.
0: (laughs) You hate when that happens. And so let's read from White County. Those are your three class three A Miss Basketball finalists. In class four A, Natalie H- Natalia, I'm sorry, Natalia Hodge from Bearden, Kimora Fields from Bradley Central, and the aforementioned Clemson signee Amari Berry from Clarksville. On the boys' side, in Division two A, you've got Jaden Jones from Good Pasture, Kavian Jones from Battleground Academy, and Aiden Shaw, from Jackson Christian. In Division II AA, Vanderbilt Signee Tyler Tanner from Brentwood Academy, along with Zundra Jackson from Chattanooga Christian and Cooper Haynes from Briarcrest. Class 4A. Congrats to Independence's Jet Montgomery. He is one of three finalists along with Cordova's Emerson Tenner Jr. and William Blunt's Caden Wendell. Uh, 3A, your finalists are all from the eastern side of the state. Cade Caps from Stone Memorial. Tyler Lee from Fulton, and Trey Thompson from Greenville. 2A finalists, Javen Carter from Alcoa, Shane Cherry from Austin East, and Ty Glasper from Gatlinburg-Pittman. And in Class 1A, your finalists are, Wade, you alluded to him earlier, Jordan McCullum from Harriman, the Murray State signee, Malachi Brooks from Union City, and Jordan Allen from Hillcrest in Memphis. As you consider, Wait those 36 finalists, is there anybody missing in your mind? Anybody that just jumped out at you immediately that should have been on there that shouldn't have been?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying this just because I voted for him, and I'm pretty sure you probably tossed the vote his way, but I really don't know. I haven't seen Jordan Allen play. I got to see Malachi Brooks play last year as a 2A school for Union City. It's kind of unfortunate that they've dropped, in a sense, to 1A because Auden Slaughter, uh, I don't, you don't leave off Jordan McCollum by any stretch. He's probably going to be my vote for overall player. That kid is elite. But if there's ever a snub, I don't know how Slaughter is left off this list. I mean, what, what's your rationale or what's your metric, I suppose, because uh, the team has had success. He's putting up just eye-popping stats. And that's kind of the point of the award. Some years is just who has the best eye-popping stats we've seen at, at times. And his are just off the charts. So the fact that he's not even a finalist is really kind of a head-scratcher to me.
0: Um, head-scratcher is an understatement. I mean, and and I'm, I'm going to – we'll just put this out here. We are based in Columbia. I'm sports editor of Main Street Murray. I mean, I'm a little biased on this. Just because I'm a little biased doesn't make me wrong. Santa Fe was the number one team in the Associated Press poll for about a month. Preach. Alton Slaughter is the best player on, arguably the best team in Class 1A. It's not like he was just going out and getting his points for a 4-20 and team. This has been a successful team. He's averaging – he was averaging 35 points a game before he got hurt. Um, so you're telling me that the best player on what most people thought was the best team in the classification isn't worthy of a top three finish in the Mr. Basketball voting. I struggle to understand that. I'm with you, man. Uh, This,
1: like I said, depending on, he fits both metrics, right? Uh, We've seen players that had lesser stat lines, but, but because they were the best player on the best team get nominated, so he fits that criteria, but then we've also seen players over the years where they just put up freakish numbers, 35 plus, maybe even close to 40 plus on bad teams, and they get nominated. He fits both of those
0: bills. He's putting up 35-plus on a good team.
1: Yeah, putting up 35-plus on the top-ranked team in the state and is not even on the final three. And like I said, I haven't seen Allen. I saw Brooks last year. Presumably, he's gotten better. Um, McCollum is a shoe-in, in my opinion. But you're telling me one of those two slots can't go to slaughter?
0: Man, that is, that is a tough sell for me. I wonder if the fact that he's an underclassman played a role because sometimes you get caught up in that, well, we can get him next year. He may not be averaging 35 points a game next year. You never know. No. And we we saw that evolve with the Heisman trophy. I mean, when you've got people that deserve to be honored, you shouldn't wait. And I, I don't know what the rationale is. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of contradicting myself here a little bit because I pick plenty of all area teams and that kind of thing. And whenever somebody comes to you complaining about somebody getting left off, then my question is, well, who do you want to take off for him? I have no idea. But I have a tough time thinking that the best player on arguably the best team isn't on there. That's, you know, convince me why that's not the case.
1: And another uh, crucial thing, you know, you're based out of Murray County. We've seen some really good kids at Giles County and Richland over the years. I'm not necessarily shocked that they have not made it on Mr. Football or Mr. Basketball ballots just because of the, the media presence and the market presence. But Columbia and Murray County, I mean, that is a major market in Middle Tennessee and you're still getting snubbed there. So you you got that factor at play too. It's not as if he's playing uh, with all due respect to uh, a Cannon County or, you know, uh, a school kind of off the beaten path, uh, a school not close to an interstate at least. And all three of those criteria kind of playing in his favor, and he's still left off. I really, really – I don't get too worked up about these things, but this is one that's kind of got me just really puzzled.
0: Hey, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. So – it's unfortunate. That's okay. You do Alden, make a good
1: we, point, though. No disrespect to Jordan Allen or Malachi Brooks. Obviously, those guys, super proud of them and super worthy of their achievement. Uh, and you would hope that if it was a fourth ba- uh, nominee that Alden would be on there. But, man.
0: That's okay, Alden. We know who you are. That's right. Yeah. When we come back here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint, we are um, – we're going to hang out with with one of my favorite law enforcement figures. Stay tuned. <laughs>
2: Live under the lights, a city of performers, putting on one heck of a show, headlining night after night. Welcome to Smashville.
3: AP Tennessee Sports Editor. Three time Tennessee Sports Runner of the Year 2020 TSWA Hall of Famer. She covers the Titans, the Predators, the Grizzlies, college football, and hoops. Please make welcome,
0: Teresa Former University of Tennessee, former Team USA Olympian, XI Young Award winner, Ari Dickey. R.A., did I miss anything? Man, that was sweet. <laughs> yeah, I, I need to listen to that part before I go to bed every night. That
3: was nice. <laughs> has five sports Emmys. That's not bad for the other guy in Wham. <laughs> <laughs> (laughs)
5: Other guy, Wham, married the best-looking girl, Bananarama. So other guy, Wham, had a pretty good life.
3: From preps to pros, we're taking on the sports topics you care about. Tune in across Main Street Media social platforms at 2 p.m. or on demand on your podcast distribution platform of choice.
0: Welcome, second hour of Main Street Sports today presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. I'm Maurice Patton. That's Wade Neely. Um, We're going to be talking a little Super Bowl here in this segment. And so, of course, this segment is brought to you by Zen Sports. The big game is Sunday, and we know you must be excited not only to watch, but to make some bets as well. And if you like to bet props, head over to Zen Sports, where they are offering a ton of special prop bets exclusively for the game Sunday. Player props, game props, team props, you name it, they've got it. And Zen Sports is running a special promotion. If you make any five prop bets on the football game of at least $25 or more before kickoff, you will earn a $10 no danger wager the following Monday. What's more is that you can request a prop bet if you don't see it on Zen Sports, and they will look to create it just for you. And for new customers, when you sign up for Zen Sports, you'll automatically earn up to a $1,000 no-danger first wager. If your first bet loses, you'll be reimbursed for the amount of your bet up to a $1,000 maximum within 24 hours. Maximum odds are plus 500. And there's even more good news. Zen Sports has the top VIP rewards program, which allows top-tier customers to earn more bonuses, comps, and perks. The VIP program is by invite only, so if you feel that your Zen Sports play qualifies for VIP consideration, please check out the program details and apply at zensports.com/vip. So what are you waiting for? Get going and download their app at zensports.com today. Zen Sports betting just got better. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-889-9789. Terms and conditions apply. No danger. Wager limited to plus 500 odds to qualify. Must be 21 or over and in Tennessee to bet. Zen Sports. Betting just got easier. Just got better. Excuse me. Betting just got better. And as long as we're on the Bs. Well, first off, the big game Sunday, as we just mentioned, Always a Nashville connection, right, Wade?
1: Yep. Every
0: year seems like we,
1: some years we got to really kind of hunt, but
0: this year seemed like it was was too easy. It's relatively obvious. Jim Wyatt of the Tennessee Titans is on the ground in Vegas, and he dug up, well, I don't know if he dug it up or not, but he came up with one of the Nashville connections. Obviously, um, spent a little time with. 49ers receiver Jawan Jennings and we've got a video interview with him. So let's hear what Jawan has to say. Just a
7: blessing, uh extremely amazing. And uh just uh, just representing um, everybody from Tennessee representing the 49ers. And I have a lot of family out here. Um, everybody's room for me. And I just can't wait to bring him back to Tennessee for about it. And um I used to tell myself as a kid, all I got to do is just keep going to work every day. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's my life now, just going to work Monday through Sunday.
0: That was Jawan Jennings out in Vegas for Sunday's game against Kansas City. Also in Vegas on Sunday will be Jawan's dad, Benny Jennings, Tennessee Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Benny Jennings joining us now here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. Benny, we were kind of hoping you'd show up in uniform just to be a little bit more intimidating.
7: <laughs> well, uh, I- I'm glad to be with you guys. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I try to spend as much time out of that uniform as I can. <laughs> <these days. laughs> I-,
0: I understand. I understand. Um, busy week for you because you're going to be flying out this evening, is that right?
7: That's correct. It's been a, a busy week at work, trying to wrap things up and uh, uh, get ready for this weekend. So I, I still got a lot to do this evening and uh, in the next few hours before we get out of here. But uh, but yeah, been a busy week. Looking forward to it, though.
0: Oh, I bet you are. I bet you are. And, um, you know, we talk about Juwan playing in the Super Bowl but you know this is one of those apple didn't fall far from the tree kind of thing (laughs) Benny is a 2009 University of North Alabama Hall of Fame inductee so we kind of know a little bit about where Jawan got his talent from so (laughs) you know just just want to just just want to get that out there you you had a little game too right
7: well that's what they say I guess (laughs) you know I, I have to be humble about it uh you know, it's just football and basketball, all sports really just came natural to me. And uh, as a kid growing up in Lincoln County, uh, it was just something to do for us back then. But then, you know, it turned serious, serious.
0: Having had the career that you had, does that make what you're watching your son do even more special?
7: You know, I don't think uh, necessarily having the career I had, makes it special i think it just being a parent is what makes it special you know uh we all of our kids have, have excelled in sports and in the classroom so that's just a special thing to us and uh that's something we strive for for one from day one
1: benny as you go into this week uh so much obviously of the hoopla the super bowl gets it talked about with the players and I guess I'm just curious for you as a father of somebody competing in such a on such a stage kind of how have your emotions been this week and uh, just walk us through that process uh, as you get ready to leave tonight
7: oh man these last three weeks uh, my emotions been all over the place Uh, just happy for him and uh, just ecstatic that he gets this opportunity to showcase his talents on the world stage because you know, uh, during the regular season, you know, it's, it's seen all over the world, but this is the Super Bowl, So that changes things. Um, so we're just, um, sometimes we're just at a loss for words, you know, even, even to just make it to this game, this, this is just out of this world for us, for us and our whole family.
1: Yeah, kind of looking back on the 49ers postseason run just the last couple of weeks, uh, I kind of wish we had a camera uh, on you during those games because they've been through uh, some crazy uh, couple of games there with Green Bay and then Detroit, obviously.
7: Uh, Yeah. Uh, The last game, the Detroit game, you know, I, I was never not nervous at one point in the game. Um, I always thought they would, they had a great team and that they could come back and win, and just so happened they did now the green bay game oh it drained me i (laughs) i think i paced the 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 stadium while during the whole game and and as a matter of fact after that game uh my wife and i we got back to the hotel and she said do you want to go get something to eat and i'm like no i gotta go to bed i was so emotionally drained that green bay game because it was a it was a game they were supposed to win but i got nervous after they beat. Green Bay beat Dallas, and I thought, oh man, this is going to be uh, tougher than it's supposed to be.
0: Uh, I'm, I'm, um <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to mention Dallas at all in this conversation because prior to Juwan going out to the West Coast, our guest was one of the biggest Dallas Cowboy fans you would meet. Oh my um, gosh. And, those, those allegiances have, have been tested to say the least here over the last few
7: years. Man, they have been tested. I, you know, I was, I, I grew up a Dallas fan. Uh, even when I spent a little time as a free agent in uh, Tampa, signed with them out of college. And then uh, I was still rooting for Dallas while I was there, you know. But, uh, you know, and even the night he got drafted, all I could think about, all I could think about or picture was seeing Dwight Clark catching that pass in the end zone to beat Dallas that year but uh it's it's been a great game as uh all these years uh 49ers in Dallas um and it made it a lot more special this year and um especially when they played them uh those were some great some good games and the great times
0: how many games have you made this year
7: How how many
0: games have you missed this year? How's that?
7: Yeah. I, I, I think we've made eight games this year and that's a lot, you know, um, being here in Nashville. uh, That's a lot of flying. So we've racked up quite a few miles, you know, this year, but it's all been fun. We're tired though.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you'll be glad when the season's over with too, huh?
7: Yes. I'm glad this is the last game and, and uh, what a, what a game it is, it's going to be.
0: You know, he's he's had a great year, Benny, and and starting to really kind of come into his own here in his third full professional season. They've got a nickname for him out there now, third and Jawan. He only had one catch against the Packers. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, against Detroit, but it was a third down conversion. Right. Uh, they, for somebody whose numbers aren't necessarily prolific, he holds a pretty prolific role in that offense. It seems like.
7: Yes, he does. And, and he embellishes that, you know, he just, uh, he's one of those guys that, uh, he knows his role and he's going to do it the best of, to the best of his ability. Uh, he's one of those guys that plays until the, he hears the whistle. Sometimes he, sometimes he may not hear the whistle, but he plays the, <laughs> he hears the whistle. Uh, but he's always been like that as a kid. And, um, you know, they're so loaded on the offense out there. And for him to go in there, in his mind, he's a number one receiver, but you know, and they may not see that. So, but the great thing for them is they got a number three receiver that acts like a number one. So, you know, and that's the mindset that he has.
1: Yeah, it seems like he's um, flourishing uh, this year as we get into. Uh, what should be a fantastic game on Sunday. And I guess another question kind of for you as a parent in this game, Benny, uh, has your routine, I know the parents probably have a routine just like the players do leading up or superstitions leading up to the game. Have you changed anything during the postseason? And how has your contact uh, with Juwan kind of been this week leading up to such a big stage?
7: Ah, uh, routine has not changed. Uh, uh, <laughs> it, it's pretty much been the same. Uh, so, we're, we're going to keep it the same as, as far as what I wear, wear a pair of jeans and his Jersey and a pair of Jordans. I got, I got a new pair of Jordans. So I wear those and, uh, that's it for me. So it's going to be fun as that. Um, uh, I've talked to him two or three times this week. He's, he's in a good mindset, which he, he always is. And, um, um, Can't wait to get out there, and hopefully uh, we'll we'll get to see him tomorrow. Spend a little time with him before, and then uh, most definitely we'll get to see him after the game, win or lose.
0: It's awesome. Um, THP Lieutenant Benny Jennings of the Tennessee Highway Patrol joining us here on Main Street Sports today as we talk a little Super Bowl. Yeah, what are your thoughts about the game, Benny? I mean, obviously uh, Kansas City, the the defending Super Bowl champ, they. Had their struggles midseason, but they seem to have kind of come out of those. Obviously, it's going to be a great ball game, but but how do you feel like this goes? I'm sure you're picking San Francisco, but you know, from a football standpoint, what are your thoughts?
7: Well, from a football standpoint, I I really think uh, you've got and you always say never bet against Patrick Mahomes, um, one of the best quarterbacks I've ever. Had the privilege to see play. Um, he's just so good. Now he doesn't have quite the weapons he's had in the past, but uh, one thing I've noticed about uh, Kansas City is that their defense has really come on in these in the playoffs, and they the defensive line is is uh, really good. They're really performing well, and no matter whether you pro- playing pro- pop Warner football or you playing professional football. Games are won on the offense and defensive lines. So that's that's gonna be a key there. And uh I just think San Francisco, they've they've got a great offense. They got on the line, they got the backs, Brock Purdy's doing well, and plus their receivers. And on uh San Fran's defense, I really like the defensive line. They're they're doing what they have to do at, at times, but I think the strong point on the forty nine ers is uh will be the defensive backs uh, on that defense. So I think it's going to be a real good game. Uh, Of course I am pulling for San Fran. Um, I will say this. I'm not nervous this week. I don't feel like I felt the green Bay game.
0: Mm -mm. That, that could be trouble. (laughs) Never nervous Benny right here. Um, Well, we'll be watching from a little different vantage point than you on Sunday, but, um, Congratulations to Juwan, obviously, and and good luck to him. And um, look forward to seeing how Sunday goes. Benny Jennings joining us here on Main Street Sports today, man. We appreciate it.
7: Well, thank you so much. I appreciate y'all just uh, making time for me. And, uh, hey, I like what you do, and uh, it's been a blast. And uh, well, go 49ers.
0: well hey we appreciate you making time for us and and i'll see you um back out at the ag expo here in a couple of weeks i guess probably with some swag on so um look forward to that
7: yes you will i'll have to hide the swag since i'll be working but uh we'll we'll, it'll be shown (laughs) we'll talk we'll talk all right man thanks have a good trip thank you guys thank you benny When we come
0: back here on Main Street Sports today, um, it's throwback Thursday. And so we're going to throw it back to a previous interview that took place here on the show. And think it's a good one. think you'll enjoy it. So stick around here from the Lee Company Studios on Main Street Sports today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. today presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint, as we continue through the Thursday edition of our show. That's Wade Neely. I'm Maurice Patton and Chris and I were lucky enough. Oh, what's up, Wade?
1: Hey, real quick, Mo. uh, Great segment just now with Benny Jennings and uh, there's always a Nashville connection with the Super Bowl. There's always a Giles County connection with just really anybody in general. And I got to give a quick shout out. Benny was a roommate of a good friend of mine at una uh Derek dc coffee they're both on the uh, all decade team down there at una and i text benny in the break i said hey were you are you familiar with dc he said man that was my roommate back in the day so uh there's always a unique Giles county connection uh so just wanted to pass that along there
0: well at, i guess we know at least one more 49er fan this weekend then huh <laughs> that's wild um Chris and I were lucky enough last week to get a few minutes with the Braves on Bally voice, Brandon Gauden, talking a little Atlanta Braves as he is heading into his second season in that position. So, um, talked about last year, talked about what's coming up, and hope you enjoyed as much as we did. Brandon Gauden the atlanta braves television play-by-play announcer for valley sports south joining us here on main street sports today brandon first off congratulations thank you guys
8: i really appreciate the kind introduction and appreciate you having me on
0: oh we appreciate you coming on Uh, um, introduce you obviously as Braves play-by-play announcer because that's where we see your work the most but as chris pointed out earlier you are also the voice of madden and and i imagine there's a good faction of folks that know you better from that than this
8: and thankfully there they don't have to see my face you know during a braves telecast you're subjected to at least 30 seconds of seeing this face at the beginning of every broadcast but madden is voice only so yeah but i've been i've been doing that since 2017 charles davis of cbs is the analyst and we've been having a blast with it for the last seven years. But getting this job last season with the Braves on Valley was was my dream job because this is the team that I grew up following and rooting for. And so it's an honor and a privilege to be able to sit in that chair every night.
0: Well, between that and getting to hang out with CD on a regular basis, things probably don't get a whole lot better. But you also do some Big Ten basketball.
8: Yes, I'm in the middle of basketball season right now. Most of what I do is Big 10, some Big East, it's whatever rights Fox has. So Fox doesn't have any ACC or SEC. They have Big 10 Big East and a little Pac 12, and so those are the conferences that I cover. So yeah, right now I'm traversing through the Midwest trying to avoid the snow. Was in uh, Madison last week and I'll be headed to Iowa here on Thursday for a game Friday night between them and Ohio State. So that's all keeping me busy and then Before you know it, we'll blink and we'll be headed down to Northport in March to cover the last few telecasts there before the Braves kick things off on March 28th in Philly.
0: Looks like you're going to have a new sidekick this time around.
8: Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, look, Jeff Francoeur, who's been the lead analyst last few years and with me last year, is tremendous. Everybody knows and loves Jeff. Not only incredibly gifted on air but just fun engaging just a great guy to be around we're both the same age born a couple weeks apart so we just had a lot in common and we had a blast but jeff has four young kids and jeff wants to be around those kids He has the financial flexibility to be able to do that because of his days playing Major League Baseball. And so I'm happy for him. He's taking a step back. He's still going to be doing about 25 to 30 games. So people will still see quite a bit of Jeff Francoeur on the Braves telecast. But being the lead analyst now is C.J. Nikowski, longtime Major League reliever, who for the last seven seasons was the lead analyst for the Texas Rangers, who obviously just won the World Series. Uh, But this was a job CJ had his eye on because he and his wife and their family have lived in Atlanta for the better part of two decades. So he was having to do those Rangers telecasts while traveling all over the country. Every game was a road game for him. Now, half of his games are home games. Uh, He's a tremendous on-air talent. I've gotten to know him, and he's a wonderful person, and I cannot wait to work with him
3: that's we're all excited about you know hearing new voices on the telecast i think obviously getting fresh thoughts and and stuff from different broadcasters is always fun and the way that you guys have done it over the last couple of years with so many great analysts joining you has just been fantastic you know it's 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 always better to hear Brandon Gordon than anyone else that we might have to listen to call Braves games on any other network that's all I'm going to say.
0: Yeah, I mean a, a few weeks ago I saw something about the ESPN Sunday night schedule for the first few weeks and somebody was complaining about only one Braves game and I'm like, hey, that's only one time I got to listen to ESPN. The rest of the time I get Brandon. I'm good. Yeah, this- I'm good with that. Yeah, well, at least at least you guys and
8: my mother feel that way. I don't know how many other people do. But.
0: <laughs> Trust me. But, you know, a, a lot of people do. A, a lot of people do um, really, really enjoyed your first season. And, you know, you said it was your dream job. I said in the first segment, it was your dream job. Refer to your letter to Skip Carey when you were a youngster in Evansville relative to that i mean they say don't meet your heroes but how did this first year live up to your expectations
8: yeah it lived up to it and it it even was exceeded some i when i took the job i knew because of all the things that we've discussed and my history with the braves as a fan and how passionate i was about broadcasting and braves baseball even if the braves had only won 30 games i still would have really enjoyed last season The fact that they won 104 and set every record known to man offensively was the icing on the cake. Now, look, obviously we know the season did not end as I wanted, as you guys wanted, as anybody in a Braves uniform or anybody cheering on the Braves wanted. We get that. And we didn't broadcast the postseason, so I was enduring those painful losses as a fan just like everybody else. But for me, the regular season and just how great I think the guys were in the clubhouse on the bus on the plane and the hotel uh, what you see and what you hear about is kind of what you get there really is a solid clubhouse core and a group of guys that love to play baseball but also love each other and a tremendous group of leaders and men and so when you you, you factor that with the wins and everything else going on it just made for a magical season and then you look at how the Braves have really most of these guys especially the position players locked up in long-term deals I mean this this is a team and a franchise that is built not just to win in 2023 and 2024 but 25 26 27 and for years to come so I, I think it, it's look it's hard to be objective obviously now I'm biased but it's hard if, to look objectively at Major League Baseball and say that the Braves aren't right now the, the team that is built the best to win in the next five years and so it makes it a very exciting place to call work and to broadcast these games.
3: Well, you know, even last uh, over the weekend when Spencer Strider said, "Look, it's World Series or bust for this team,"
5: mm-hmm.
3: and and I feel like that's the attitude that this team has to have. And you know, when you're around these guys on a daily basis, do you? I mean, do you get that feeling that they really put? Not only do they put that pressure, but they, I mean, they carry that pressure and obviously perform under it.
8: Yeah, and I think Spencer Strider is exactly right. I don't think anybody in that clubhouse would run from that. Some people might scoff at that and say, oh, it's an unfair expectation. And to ask a team to win a World Series every year, of course, that's an unfair expectation. <laughs> but but when you look at what the Braves have, you say, look, this, has, this is the team that has the best chance to get it done because it has the best roster top to bottom. Those players know that. You can't run from that. You either are a competitor and you embrace it and you go after it, or you hide in a hole and these are guys that are going to embrace it and go after it and i respected alex Anthopoulos, who's at the top of the food chain even though he doesn't play but he sets that tone i mean he has said several times since the end of last season that yeah that postseason finish wasn't good enough 104 wins was great but we expect to win in the postseason and he knows that and some people wanted a top-end starting pitcher most of braves country did in the offseason And we'll see what Chris Sale can bring to the table. He's kind of the new man in the starting rotation who at one point in time was one of the best pitchers in the game. I mean, he made seven straight all-star games and he was all seven of those years, I believe, he finished in the top six in the Cy Young voting, which is just absolutely insane consistency. Now, the naysayer would look at that and say, yes, but since 2020, he's had injuries and he has. And so his time in Boston ended on a sour note but he's still 34, and Charlie Morton's still pitching well at 40. So hopefully Chris Sale can stay healthy this year and provide the Braves another starting pitcher to help once they get late in the season into September and then into October in the postseason.
0: It's hard to believe that Chris Sale is only 34 years old, for one thing, (laughs) because it feels like he's been around forever. But um, Brandon Gauvin, Atlanta Braves television play-by-play announcer, for Valley Sports joining us here on Main Street Sports today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. Brandon, arguably the biggest regular season game of the year last year, you didn't get the call.
8: <laughs> but I enjoyed it. I was going to say, how,
0: how do you, how do you where, watch that? Where were were you at home? Where, where right, were you? With...
8: Uh, right behind you, yeah, in the, on this couch back here watching on my television. Um, <laughs> I, you know, a lot of people have asked me about that game because it was against the Mets. It was, as you said, probably the most exciting finish last year. There were several walk-offs, but that Ozzie Albies-Homer in front of a packed crowd to beat nobody else other than the Mets uh, in a dramatic back and forth affair was just, it was scintillating. It was awesome. And a lot of people have asked me, do you wish that you had been in the booth with those four guys? Well, sure, that would have been great. But I truly mean it when I say that I sat on that couch and I loved every minute of that broadcast because I took myself back to being an eight, nine, 10 year old kid. And those guys, Chipper, Smoltzy and Glavin and then Jeff later and now becoming a friend and a broadcast partner. But those those three Hall of Famers, those are guys that I idolized and hearing them tell stories of their playing days of when I used to watch the Braves nightly on TBS and be serenaded by Skip Carey on the mic. I just was a kid again and I loved it. I loved the old footage they rolled in. It was like the the best mixture of old school and new school Atlanta Braves baseball. And we got that in one telecast. And I thought it was tremendous. Now they did it again later in the year and I, I still thought it was great. You just didn't have the Hollywood ending that they did that first go around with a win over the Mets. Uh, but it was tremendous theater, tremendous television. Our production crew headed up by our producer Gretchen Caney did an incredible job setting the table for all of that. So even though I wasn't in the booth, I was happy to be on my couch with popcorn and Coke in hand uh, and watching that game and watching the Braves
3: win.
0: Popcorn and Coke. Coke, Coke, not a crown. (laughs) Well,
3: (laughs) (laughs) only one person had a crown that night. Not a (laughs) crown that night. Yeah.
0: Um, Brandon, what? changes this off season the biggest one to me obviously is we're not going to look over in that third base coaching box in 337 yeah. um i would imagine that's pretty impactful for you as well
8: it is ron washington and ey eric young at first base it's hard to explain what those guys meant to the team and to the players and in particular the infielders and the base dealers that those guys spent so much time with When I would get done with watching batting practice every day, whether it was at home or on the road, and you would go underneath the locker room and into the tunnel toward the clubhouse, always, 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 you would see Wash and EY sitting there talking with everybody that came past, sharing wisdom, sharing stories, talking about the opponent, talking about life. And there's that intangible that that they say in a clubhouse of chemistry that, some people roll their eyes at, but it's a real thing. The Braves will continue to have it, but they lost a big piece of that chemistry with EY and, and certainly with Wash. And they called Wash the infield whisper because of how good he was at teaching those young guys how to play the infield. You see the strides I think, in particular, that Austin Riley has made defensively at third base, and he attributes a lot of that to Ron Washington. Uh, but but so you, you married such a great coach with such a great person such a great clubhouse presence. I am thrilled for him. I think he deserved another opportunity to manage. He's going to get that with the Angels, and I hope that they turn it around, and I hope he has a lot of success there. Uh, but we would all be lying if we tried to minimize the impact that he had in Atlanta. He, he was tremendous, and he will be
0: missed. I just don't know who's going to work with you on your base stealing now that he's gone.
8: <laughs> well, that has nowhere to go but up. That was, for those who didn't see my pathetic slide I'm glad you didn't see my well, pathetic slide. They only and showed it 37 times in again. a row. Oh my gosh, I, that, you know, I praised our producer earlier. Yeah, I was Chris gonna say. Katie. They would roll that in, and every time, in, so in your ear when they're gonna roll in a piece of video that, hey, we're gonna show Chipper's home run from the 1996 playoffs, whatever. And they would always tell me something fake. Hey, we're gonna show this, this, and this, and then it would be that stupid slide. And I was just like, "Oh, guys, not again!" Can we just bury that, burn that footage, and not bring it back?
3: No, uh. <laughs> no, no, we can't. Oh man, man, I love that. You know, Brandon. I, one of the things that I that you, you talk about, skip and, and whatnot. I'm. I'm just gonna ask. You know, next time we're in a rain delay, I need you to throw it to some Andy Griffith. And we just <laughs> you know, play I'm, Andy Griffith during the rain delays. That's all I'm asking. Yeah, if we if Valley had the rights to it, I would. That, <laughs> man, I
8: I remember in the '90s when there would be a rain delay. First of all, I'd be so mad because I didn't. I just wanted to watch the Braves, and when yeah. there would be rain and they would go so. But that is also how I fell in love with the Andy Griffith show because I would watch those, and after every episode. They would go back to the park, and Skip would give an update. Hey, the tarp's still on, and we'll be back in thirty minutes. And but I would watch those Andy Griffiths, was just because I was waiting for Braves baseball, and so I started to like that show because of the Braves. It's funny.
3: Nah, well, Brandon, it has been a, an absolute pleasure to talk to you today, and we, we greatly appreciate you taking some time with us. You know, if if you had if you were looking out, you know, at this twenty twenty four season, what is what is your big your big prediction, what, what do you expect to see out of this team? You know, the, kind of the, maybe a hot take of some sort for, for this 2024 Braves team.
8: I'll give you a couple. First of all, I don't really think it's a hot take. I think the Braves are the favorites to win the World Series. And I understand what the Dodgers have done, uh, but it, it's their roster doesn't fit the way the Braves roster fits. Yes, they've got Otani. We get that. We know what they did, how much money they spent, all of that. They've got – are they a good team? Of course. They're an amazing team. But to me, top to bottom, the Braves are the team to beat, and I'll take them against the field to win the World Series. I'm curious to see the two pieces, how Jared Kelnick, a young prospect who was at one point in time one of the hottest prospects in baseball, how he transitions in left field. He got injured last year in Seattle, but he's still just 24 years of age. I think the Braves are banking on him, making a lion's share of the starts out there in left. So he's the one question mark in the lineup but certainly he has a lot of potential. And then how does Chris Sale work into the starting rotation and can he stay healthy? If those two guys even have just average seasons, the Braves are just as good as they were last year. If they have above average seasons, the Braves, as scary as it sounds, could be even better than last year. And then the final prediction I would make is I think the Braves have the Cy Young winner this year. I don't know whether that's Strider or whether that's Max Freed, but if Freed stays healthy and Strider continues to stay healthy, that's as good of a one-two punch as you're going to find in the game of baseball, and I think one of those guys wins the Cy Young in 2024.
0: How many bases does Ronald steal this year?
8: <laughs> can he go over what he did last year? I, I think he's plus I think he's plus 70 again. The question for me is can he have a 50-50 season, uh, which, which most people for the long- longest time have just thought is impossible, and understandably so. It's never been done, but 40-70 had never been done. Um, so I, I think Ronald can do fifty-fifty if it's not this year. At some point in the next few. Wow,
3: goodness! Wow, can't wait to watch you call almost all of those. <laughs> we appreciate it. We'll, we'll let you get to your errands. We know you got a uh, an unfortunate appointment coming up after this yeah. and it's never fun to go see the dentist but you know it is what it you is you got to do it you got you gotta i got to do, do these
8: things in the off season because once the end of march hits i don't have time for them but it's, that's for a good reason so uh mm. but guys i appreciate you having me thanks very much and hopefully we can do it again in the
0: future sounds that's- good to us we'll talk to you soon thanks all right thank you
3: Got that
0: radio voice going. It's a know, good right. sounding a yeah. radio too. Okay. <laughs> As do we. And then here's the other thing: you guys, you're spot on with the name. Everybody wants to be on Main Street. Everybody wants to be on Main
1: Street. So and,
3: and we reach every Main Street in Middle Tennessee. Coach? Yeah,
1: that's it. So Perfect. when you are on Main Street and you are moving, got to love it. Like you're moving.
5: I was impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad someone.
0: County, Tullahoma, basketball tilt, and I will be getting ready for some basketball tilts on a smaller scale. So, And in uh, a different capacity, it sounds like. A, yeah, in a, in a different capacity entirely, yeah. Um, hope nobody yells at me. Fortunately, I'm in a good mood, so even if they do, they might get to stay.
1: What's the total number of technical fouls you yeah.
0: have administered, do you think? You know, I'm not over under 13 lot. and not, a half. Not. Oh, it's under. Okay. It's under. Um, And I think I gave. <laughs> I think I've given all of them that I've given on one day. Actually, I think maybe three. Yeah. um, That's what happens when you do 17, 18 year olds. Just let them play. Well, you know. So here's the deal. Intentional fouls. Are one thing. Two-handed shoving somebody in the back is another, you know. So don't do that. And you, hey, probably... I'm not
1: going to turn this into a ref corner. I promise, but I just got to get it off my chest before I broadcast tonight. There's a certain referee who hails from uh, the Murray County region. A younger uh, referee made my least favorite call in the history of sports the other night. The dreaded double foul. The, the, oh yeah, yeah. And how can you have a foul on both players? It's either got to be one or the other, in my opinion, but he, he blew the quick whistle. Uh, Toby, he's a great ref, but uh, at that point I kind of wadded up my notes and kind of yeah. shook my hand at the cloud
0: a little bit there. <laughs> yeah. I hate the double foul myself, but there are those officials that swear by it. Basically it gets everybody back in line. Supposedly. No, by, figure by out... the letter of the
1: law is probably correct. I just don't like to see it.
0: Yeah. Figure out who fouled, call it on them and let's go. Yeah. Um, A number of topics that need our attention, and we're going to start in Birmingham, where earlier, in fact, during our show, it was announced that the Southeastern Conference distributed nearly three quarters of a billion dollars to the SEC's 14 institutions for the 2022-23 fiscal year. $51.3 51.3 million per school, which Ooh. is comprised of revenue generated from television agreements, postseason bowl games, the college football playoff, the SEC football championship game, the SEC men's basketball tournament and NCAA championships. 51.3 million each.
1: You know we piled on Vanderbilt quite a bit yesterday. <laughs> And so I'm not going to pile on them really too much more but uh they are really thankful uh for the SEC today. That's all I'm going to say about that. They may have took some lumps on the hardwood. They may have took some lumps on, during football season, but on days like today it kind of makes it a little bit worth it at that point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um they're not the only one obviously, but they're they're the low-hanging fruit. They yeah, yeah, unfortunately. That 51.3 million is up about a million and a half from 2122. Schools receive 49.9 million each in 2122. So business is good in the Southeastern Conference. Business is also good for Nick Saban. Who has retired but clearly hasn't retired. It was reported earlier this week that the former Alabama coach will be joining college game day. So we're still going to be seeing plenty of Nick. Huh. That, to me,
1: is kind of a shocker. I thought for sure once he stepped away, he was not really going to be too, too involved with college uh, football. But uh, especially with the media, right? For a guy that was kind of so bristly with the media, now he's kind of just joined the – what he perceived as the evil empire back in the day.
0: You know, I mean, it it sounds a little hypocritical, but but that said, he does a great job. I mean, he's he he will some, he will be great too. Well, I mean, he's done some, you know, analysis at ball games and that kind of thing. Uh, the the opportunities that we've had to see him, he's kind of shown a side of him that you didn't get to see very often as a football coach. I'm kind of looking forward to it. But, yeah, um, no,
1: I think it'll be great. Uh, I just did not think he would he would uh, have this active of a role with college football, but uh, why not? Yeah, and he will be great. Uh, yeah.
0: He's going to be doing college game day. He's also going to do some work with the NFL draft and will apparently be on hand for SEC media days. something he's kind of familiar with, I guess. hmm So, yeah. Um, so, again – Nick Saban not going away. Um You know who is going away?
1: I don't know where this is going to go. Hit me.
0: <laughs> Oakland Athletic Baseball fans. Mm. Apparently there is a plan to boycott the Athletics 2024 season opener their home opener, I guess. So, um, they are, they are supposed to host the Cleveland guardians on March 28th. And obviously we've talked at length about the athletics plans to leave town and, you know, maybe go to Las Vegas, maybe not, yep. we don't know, but <laughs> apparently the boycott is, has got enough legs that the A's are actually offering a buy one, get one free ticket for the home Mm. opener against said guardians. So Mm. the the fans in Oakland are getting the front office's attention. Yeah, and I'm who this is gonna be. This is this is gonna be a train wreck of a season. What happens if they? Make a
1: surprise run. Uh, like I said earlier, they, they showed a little flashes of life at times last year. It wasn't if they were just completely inept, but what happens if they make a little run?
0: I don't know. I mean, you're an Astros fan. You, They, they beat some teams. They won some games, but I don't know that they've made enough strides during this offseason to be able to be – you know, competitive enough to make a run. I think if they're five hundred, I think that's a great season for them.
1: Yeah, uh, and I'm just just wondering, really more from the. We it seems like we always just have a random team that kind of comes out of nowhere, even though their rosters that maybe not constructed as such. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm just curious, at what point, if you're an A's fan, do you say, all right, they've won enough games that now I kind of got to go show a little support. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love That'll that too. Be- they're gonna they're gonna boycott uh, the opener by tailgating, you know, in the parking lot, but not actually going in. So they're gonna yeah. we're gonna crank up the two short and really have a, a a real party out there. But we're just not gonna go in. I mean, that is the ultimate slap in the face, to
0: ownership. It really is. We're gonna hang out in your parking lot, but we're not gonna come in your park. Mm-mm. That's that's what that's that's commitment. Because and I mean, I if up to that. If I'm that close to a major league baseball game, I'm probably going in. So I've never um, tailgated
1: for a baseball game, by the way, uh, at least at the major league level. May have ta- tailgated for a college game, uh, officially or unofficially. I didn't know tailgates really existed for baseball games, but
0: I didn't either really until I went to Milwaukee. I, I could see them throwing down. Yeah. You know, beer and brats.
7: Mm-hmm. It's,
0: it's kind of right there. So, yeah. Um, speaking of baseball, and I hate that we didn't bring this up with Heather Williams when we had her on a couple of days ago. Um, Kansas City Royal shortstop Bobby Witt Jr. signed a contract extension earlier this week 11 years, 288.7 mil. I mean, it's not quite SEC money, but it's I was good.
1: just getting ready to say almost SEC
0: levels. Yeah. Um, the 23-year-old Witt, son of former Texas Rangers pitcher Bobby Witt, among others. Um, it's the largest contract in Royals history, the previous was catcher Salvador Perez's four-year, $82 million. So, Witt's contract cleared that by $200 million and then some. Um. I'm thrilled that this ensures that Bobby will compete in a Royals uniform for many years to come. Bobby makes us better, and I'm grateful for his commitment to our fans, our city, and our team, said Royals chairman John Sherman. Goodness gracious. That's a lot of barbecue you could do some damage with with uh, being in KC there. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Includes a $7.7 million signing bonus. So he got 7.7 dollars handed to him earlier this week. Don't spend it all in one place and opt-outs after years seven eight nine and ten the club has a three-year option that could push the total value to 14 years and 377.7 million 23 years old wade and got that kind of money for the next 11 years i mean I could never imagine being in the position to make that kind of money, but I could never imagine having that kind of money at that age.
1: Yeah. uh, That is SEC quarterback Lamborghini uh, (laughs) money and then some. (laughs) And like you said, being so young uh, and in a smaller market, uh, that's a, that's a big, big investment for a franchise that doesn't normally make splashy uh, free agency deals and signings. Like we have mentioned, clearing that mark by a massive number from Perez earlier.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess, though, in this environment, when you've got a difference maker like a Bobby Witt Jr., you want to try to keep him around for as long as possible. He slashed 276, 319, 496 last year with 30 home runs, 49 steals. It, and that's at shortstop. I mean, those are those are numbers at shortstop in particular that I don't know that anything dictates that type of financial commitment, but if anything does, it's those numbers at that position. So Yep. Yeah, you talk about the the
1: blint, it's like a perfect storm, right? You got a, a hot shot player up and coming at a key position like that, that's probably the perfect storm for having to fork out that kind of cash.
0: And and while you talk, Wade, about the A's maybe making a run and, and getting their fans back into the park, you know, Kansas City in the AL Central, there's nobody that you look at in that in that division that just scares you. Maybe Kansas City makes a run.
1: That so, seems – that division seems like the proverbial uh, NFC South where it seems like a different team is going to win it every year. And we saw Cleveland a couple years ago. Who's it? Last year, Minnesota uh, made a good run. Yeah, Kansas City almost seems like it's their turn in line at this point, the way that that is kind of gone.
0: Yeah. I mean, the White Sox are – the White Sox. Um, you got Cleveland and Minnesota, like you said. But, um, yeah, uh, it'll – It'll be interesting to keep an eye on that team. Kansas City has not had a winning season and obviously has not been to the postseason since winning the World Series in 2015. So, like you said, maybe it is their turn. Yeah. Um, we may have major league players participating in the Olympics in 2028 when they, oh, just happened to be in L.A. Hmm. Yeah, no coincidence there. Apparently, there are being discussed ways to adjust the Major League Baseball schedule that would allow for Major Leaguers to play in the Olympics, which are scheduled for mid-July in L.A. Uh, The Olympics are from July 14th to July 30th, and there's talk of a maybe eight-game Olympic tournament. That MLB would allow players to play in as opposed to sending minor leaguers or whoever else as they've previously done. So,
1: would be fun, would get my attention. Um, uh, and I thought I just heard that the NHL is about to allow their players back in the next, uh, at least maybe two cycles of Olympics at least. So, uh, definitely going to draw some interest if nothing else.
0: Yeah, it's, it, it'd be nice to see baseball on that stage, I think. Um, would be the first time I think that made, that. baseball has been in the Olympics since 08. Is that right? I think that's correct. I know yeah. it's been away for a while. Yeah, it actually came. They played in 2020 in the last Olympics over in Tokyo. They played baseball, but, but they had eliminated it after 08. So there was no Olympic baseball in either 2012 or 2016. And it sounds a little blasphemous to me, but... Anyway, glad to um, have seen that back and going to be fun to watch that develop as we go. Tomorrow here on Main Street Sports Today, we'll obviously be talking a little bit more Super Bowl and we will get you ready for the rest of the weekend. Um, everything else has taken place. So, wait, are you going to be with us? I believe Yao was set to join us tomorrow. We're going to have a three man crew.
1: Hoping so. Uh, stay tuned, folks. The Traveling road show could be from parts unknown. We've been all across the state, but looking forward to a good one.
0: Absolutely. We will see you guys tomorrow at 2 o'clock here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint.